And hello, everybody. It is Tom Chenault, and it is formerly the Tom Chenault Show, now the Network Marketing Leadership Show with Adrian Chenault and Tom Chenault. And I hope you're having a great day today. Uh, I'm going to have to get used to calling it the Network Marketing Leadership Show, but that's what it's called. That's what we're doing. And I hope you're having an unbelievable day. Uh, Adrian has decided to elevate the crowd and the caliber of guests at a major league level. So today we've got a David Burkus guy that is unbelievable. You're not going to believe the guy's resume. That might take the whole show just to read. And then next week, we've got Harvey McKay from Swimming with the Sharks on. So we are bringing the rain. It's going to be exciting. How you doing, Adrian Chanel? I am very good and so happy to have you with us today, David. We, I found out about David over about two years ago, just, just as his book was coming out a couple of years ago. And uh, as you might imagine, I am a very easy mark for any kind of uh, content relating to the networking world. And all of a sudden, this guy starts showing up everywhere. And I keep watching these little video clips from him. And every time I'm just like, this is really good. And so I picked up his book and it delivered. So David Burkus, welcome to the show. It's great to have you, man. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. If you found out about it a year and a half ago, uh, how come you didn't invite me on back when I could have been on the Tom Chenault show? I mean, that <laughs> yeah, would have no been. Kidding. <laughs> I had to usurp him first before I could get in. I see, I see. So the plan was to take it over first and then got it. I like it. <laughs> so, so David, tell us about you and about the journey that led you to, to writing your book, Friend of a Friend, and we'll definitely show everybody how to get, how to get a hold of that. Yeah, so I, um, I mean, it depends on how much time we have. I am a weird story. So I went to college thinking I wanted to be a novelist, right? I studied English and creative writing and how to live off of a dollar a day. All the things you need to learn when you are a, a novelist, right? And then when I was in college, I started reading a bunch of different um, nonfiction books, usually by social scientists, Malcolm Gladwell, Daniel Pink, all of those sort of people. And I thought, wow, these are just as entertaining, but they're also helpful to people and these people aren't starving. Maybe this is what I want to do with my life, right? <laughs> so I went to um, graduate school after that to learn about um, organizational psychology, social psychology, network, a little bit of network science, all of that, um, with the idea of being a writer for it. Jumped around to a lot of different things, as a lot of people do while they're trying to, to make it work. And in about 2010, we started a, a podcast. Ironically, I didn't know it. I didn't feel like it at the time. What we really started was a network building tool because I, I started a podcast before they were cool, 2010, right? I still had to like manually upload audio files and all of this sort of stuff, but it allowed me to cold email all of my heroes, Daniel Pink, the Heath brothers, all of that sort of thing and invite them to my internet radio show, right? Um, Tom remembers back when everybody discounted that whole podcasting thing is crazy, right? That was me. I was one of those crazy guys, um, but that helped me build a platform to start writing for major publications that led to book deals. And now we've done three different books, all of which blend uh, psychology, sociology, and network science into some practical business application. The foremost of which, as you said, the most recent one uh, is Friend of a Friend, which is all about, it's not really about networking, it's about how networks actually work so that you can figure out where you're, you've got gaps in your strategy, et cetera. Wow, that's pretty darn cool. And actually not terribly dissimilar to how this show came about and, and what it's done for your life. I'm the king of networkers, man. I am the most connected guy I know. I've got notes on 18,000 people in my, friend, in my phone. And there's nobody that I can't get to 
as a result of keeping track of people I've met all my life, which is you're talking which is what is what you're talking about. And your book is so exciting, and the complete philosophy of your book is so exciting. I'll never forget when Adrian was reading it, and it was so fun watching him go through that process because he just kept saying, "Dad, this book is right on the money." You loved it. I loved, I mean, you can, uh, here, here's my copy and it's got, you know, notes in the cover and under, I mean, well, I'm like crazy on this thing. So what I, what I hear Tom saying is he was excited because that stuff he's been trying to teach you your whole yeah. life, you had, you listened to someone else who wrote it and, and finally listened. So Tom, like, I'm sorry, it couldn't be you that taught him, but I'm glad <laughs> we got it. We got there. Like we got there in the end. So somebody on the Facebook feed wants to know if, uh, are, are you, do you do endorsement deals then? Like, like for shoes and no, for a hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> for people listening on the radio, this is pretty cute. He is yeah. wearing a sport coat with a hoodie, which looks so doggone cool. I am right? completing it for myself. It I'll just, send you one. I'll get you one. Yeah. Oh we got to get one with the Adrian Chenault show printed on the front. <laughs> that would be unbelievable. So, so sorry. I know, I know I broke everybody's train of thought, but I have to wrap it You're the king of the pattern. Yeah. <laughs> that is very cool. I love the, the trademark hoodie and sport coat is awesome. So, but, uh, you know, I think there's a kernel of that in how the Tom Chenault show and, and the home-based business radio show, as, a, as it was first called, came about and, and this ability that that gave to you and that it gave to you as well to have something of value to offer to these people that would be otherwise very difficult to get to mm. and how that opens up your world. And so talk a little bit about that in your experience, David, how, what it did for you, both from a learning perspective and an access perspective to be able to talk to guys like Daniel Pink and the Heath Brothers. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so first from a, from a fun research perspective, right? Everybody who's ever been to one of those unstructured networking events or mixers, right, knows how frustrating they can be, right? Or anybody that's ever begged somebody for coffee to pick their brain and been rejected knows like, oh, this sort of stuff doesn't work. In, in terms of research, there's a, there's a very good reason for that. When we have unstructured events, we chase comfort. So we're much more likely to hang out with people we already know or people who are similar than us. We don't meet or make time for, for new people. In the same context, there's a different type of event, what the researchers will call a shared activity, me meaning that even though we've got a bunch of people there and they may or may not know each other, there is a different reason for everyone to be there than just meeting people. Just like when you invite someone to coffee, like I don't, I don't, picking, I don't want you to pick my brain. Like that actually sounds kind of gross if you think about it, right? Um, and I don't know what the reasoning is there. I don't know what the value proposition there is, et cetera. So a shared activity, and this can be anything. This can be organizing a, a charity 5K run. This can be uh, getting a group together to go uh, mountain climbing on the Saturday, rock climbing on a Saturday, or it can be a podcast or a show, something you're inviting people in to sort of co-create with you to achieve a different objective that, that benefits everybody. If this objective gets accomplished, everybody benefits. You guys get good content, that person gets additional exposure. That's much more likely to get a yes than these unstructured events, requests for coffee, et, et cetera. Like I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but very few people want to have coffee with you if you're watching this like no offense it's not you just very few people are like yes I want to take my whole afternoon away to go sit with someone and I don't even know what they want to ask me yet very few people want that but inviting somebody into a, a podcast or a, a video show or whatever it is some, something where we're going to create content together 
has a totally different value proposition and is much more successful because it's a shared activity in the research piece. So, so I found the same thing. I mean, we had, um, I wasn't a very good podcaster. In fact, the only time I've ever been profiled in the New York Times was about how I was stopping my show because I wasn't successful. It was an article about how there are too many podcasts out there and lots of people are dropping off. That was me, right? Only ever been profiled in the New York Times for failing at podcasting. <laughs> but, but what succeeded, right? We got, we got a small audience that was very, very loyal. And then we had a network that was built up because every time these people had a book, they, they emailed me or the publicist emailed me. Every time I thought of them or saw an article about their book, I sort of you know, appealed to everyone's ego and said, hey, let's look, I just saw this review on this magazine. I didn't know if you'd seen it yet, so I thought to send it to you, which is a way of checking in with all those people to keep tabs on them. I never really started typing all the notes in my phone uh, like Tom did because, uh, well, because I didn't know there was really good apps for that yet, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I was trying to keep notes and tabs on all of these people to keep that network up. And it became, I mean, I didn't know I was doing it at the time. I thought I was just doing this to build an audience and I don't know, get famous or whatever. But what I found is that inviting people into a shared activity was much more powerful for my network than it was for any sort of audience that I could have built. And that's what, I mean, I look back, as I was writing Friend of a Friend, I look back on what I had been doing for eight years to get to the point where I had a book called Friend of a Friend, and I realized this is exactly what I've been doing, consistently inviting people into that shared activity, co-creating something with them, and now we've got a much tighter bond than if we just met at a random mixer or conference or something like that. Yeah, that's huge. And, uh, you know, I loved one, so, you, and I'd love for you to share about this, about John Levy and in the book talking about, so this is this features in friend of a friend talking about that concept. And so, you know, I think a podcast or something like that, that's, you know, it's pretty easy that it's like, okay, I understand the value given there, but talk about his story and how maybe even something that doesn't seem like that, where there's necessarily major value to be given yet people gravitated towards it. Yeah, so John's, John Levy's example is one of my favorite examples in the book, uh, not just of a shared activity, but just as something that most people can do. All right, I don't wanna start a podcast, I don't wanna start a YouTube channel, whatever. John invites people to dinner, makes, manages the guest list such that nobody really knows each other when they come there. Most, some of them don't even know John, they just got contacted by him. And they come to his, his home and they find out that they're not just there to eat dinner, they're actually gonna be making dinner as well. John's mapped everything out for who needs to do what tasks and he pairs everyone off. And then he tells them, okay, you're gonna be with this person and you guys are in charge of the chicken. And then he tells them we have two rules until dinner is served. Rule number one, do not use your full name. And rule number two, don't tell anyone what you do for work. So now you, you spend about 45 minutes to an hour cooking alongside someone, and what do you talk about? You talk about other stuff. You talk about hobbies, you talk about family, you talk about your backstory. You talk about all of this, not who are you and what do you do stuff, and you build this deep relationship to this person. Then you sit down and you try and guess what they do, and it's always fun to know like, oh, I got that totally wrong, but wow, I have this deep relationship with someone I never would have met if I had just stuck to the normal script of who are you, what do you, what do, you do mixing, mixing around? And, it's a great example of a shared activity with very low stakes, right? We're not making a, a radio show where if we mess up, the world's not going to hear it. it I mean, we might burn the chicken, but that's about as, as low stakes as it can be. But it's something he invites in. My wife and I try and replicate this, but dinners are way too late for us. So we try and have like big breakfasts where we invite everybody in on a Saturday and we're making bacon and pancakes and all this sort of stuff. And you don't even have to do it necessarily with food, but what is it that you can get a group of people together working on together that gets them better connected to each other and to you. Wow. 
Is that a cool one? <laughs> That's the scariest thing I've ever heard in my life, by the way. <laughs> I could not go, and I sure as hell couldn't host one, and I couldn't cook. So don't invite me to that. But uh, yeah, that's exciting. Wow. But if, uh, you know, there's a creativity about that that I think is huge. Really, You'd kill it at that. Uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be fun. So I, I love that story. Well, I think we got to go take a break. Yeah, let's take a little break. We are live on the Genesis Communication Network. Special shout out to my buddy, Ted Anderson, who's put us on this incredible satellite network for so many years in a row. And I just can't thank you enough, Ted. Everybody that's on the radio right now, please listen to the commercials because it's the most important part. You've got to help him pay the bills for being so kind to Adrian and I, because as I said, it's going to be the Adrian show and he needs that relationship. We'll be back right after this. And we're back. Now we're at the commercial break. So you can Whoa, drink the background change. Yeah, you can spit. <laughs> Pamela Schwartz, we got all kinds of people listening. It's just, it's beautiful having this guy. I love him. He's awesome, isn't he? I know. You have unbelievable friends. <laughs> so next week, you find that link on, on Harvey McKay, will you? But here's the deal. Harvey McKay, and, I'm gonna, and Adrian's going to do it because he's got better eyes. Harvey McKay has been my complete, unbelievable role model for so many years before I met David, but I love this guy. And he's written two books that are about to be named among the top 15 books in the last 100 years. And so this guy, Swimming with the Sharks, you know that book like inside and out. But he, what happened is he's now written another one at age 87 with his 9.7 handicap. This guy is a beast and he is as relevant now as he was 87 years ago so we've got a little game for you to play during the break pamela write this down because we want people to buy the pre-order of his book and we're going to bribe you to do it <laughs> all right <laughs> take it away exciting so the new book is called you haven't hit your peak yet uncommon wisdom for unleashing your full potential and what I loved, we just got to hear him speak at uh, GoPro Recruiting Mastery in Las Vegas last weekend, which was a tremendous event. But he has had that as a sticky note on his mirror in his bathroom for I don't know how many years, he said, many, many years. And this guy has done everything. And he always, you know, he's just consistently reminded himself, do not rest on your laurels. Do not read yesterday's newspaper. Keep going. The best is yet to come. And that's what the new book's about. So he goes in. So you go buy the book, the pre-order on Amazon, and it's called what? Uh, you haven't hit your peak yet. Then once you buy it, all, you don't need a receipt. You don't need a vial of blood. You don't need a thing. <laughs> all you do is put, I bought the book in an email to Harvey at McKay. M-A-C-K-A-Y.com. And this guy's going to send you all kinds of extra free stuff because he knows you're not going to have the book in your hand for Christmas, but you're going to want to give it to your kids and your family. So that's the ticket. Do it right now. How does that fit into contact mapping? And what the heck is contact mapping.com? <laughs> there we go. So, so contact mapping is taking the principles that I think Harvey pioneered and that he put probably better than just about anybody, and that David has massively reinforced in his book, Friend of a Friend. And what it's all about is having you show up as that person who offers value in tons of different ways, but that I know so much about who you are through our relationship that I'm able to bring value to you in all kinds of different ways. And when I start doing that, 
the whole world shifts in a very, very powerful way. And so that's really what contact mapping is about, is showing you how to do that. And Harvey gave this speech at GoPro, and he opened it by talking about what's called the McKay 66, which was these 66 questions that they would keep in a list at his company, McKay Envelope Company, and he would require every salesperson to know everything about their client, and magic would ensue when they did that. And so he opened his speech essentially reciting the McKay 66 on somebody who he had only made an acquaintance with earlier that day, just to show you how powerful it was. And it was unbelievable because as he's sharing this, they had the other guy on the screen literally weeping because it just, to be weeping. known means so much. All I want to be is remembered. And so that's what contact mapping is about. So Dot we'll com. talk more on the next commercial break. Go to contactmapping.com. You can check it out. All right. And we're back. It is Tom Chenault and it is the Tom Chenault show. I hope you're all having a great day. And they, ironically, they renamed it. <laughs> the network marketing leadership show. So I think that might be what's on the sign behind me. I have, I have been completely written out of the script. In fact, this is so funny. Adrian told me this show was Wednesday and I go, no, it's Tuesday. He goes, no, it's Wednesday, dad. And the reason was he didn't want me to mess up the interview with David Burkus because he knew I was going to screw the pooch. But that's the way it goes. We're here. We've got David Burkus. We're having some fun with the guy. He's adorable. For those that can't, those listening on the radio, I would like to try to describe his hoodie. But all I can tell you is, is that it's magnificent. You have to have one. And hopefully I will be able to get a referral link. So take it away. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been called adorable, uh, you're especially adorable. not on the air. Oh, no, no, you're the best, man. I think you're cute as a button. So take <laughs> it away, baby. That's awesome. So, David, the thing that I think I most gravitated towards and, and have since used from your book, both on a personal level and as I've told people to check it out and, and shared about it, is this concept of dormant ties. And so I'd love just for you to talk about how you came to discover how important those are and, and what that means and how it can help the audience. Yeah. So the first big mindset shift you kind of have to go through, we, we have this tendency to define our network just as the number of people that we know, right? Uh, that's our network. Well, it's not really your network. It can't be owned. It's the network, right? The city that you live in, the industry that you're in, the, the entirety of the planet, 7.7 .7 billion people and counting is one sort of big network, right? So, so that, like when we do that shift, now we've got to think about where individuals are in the network. Someone like Tom, who's got 14,000 people on his phone with all sorts of that, he's towards the center of that network, right? And other people are way out. But there's also where you are and then where people you want to get connected to are. And most of us, when we uh, need new information, new opportunities, new ideas, referrals to new people, et cetera, uh, most of us burn out that close-knit circle of people and then skip over what I often call the hidden network, which is this dormantized thing, and jump right to strangers. We go to the networking mixer, the trade association, the, the you know, chamber of commerce meeting, whatever, and we try and meet total strangers. And the idea behind total strangers is great because presumably if we can build rapport with them, get to know them, then they know different people. They're somewhere else in the network than we are. So all of their connections are different. The irony, of course, it's really uncomfortable. Most people don't want to do it. We already talked about that. Um, but also like you're sort of rolling the dice on whether or not they'll be all that helpful. There's a different 
group of people in the network that are just as helpful as those strangers, but you already have a rapport with them. We call them your dormant ties. They're people that you know that you're already connected to, but who, for whatever reason, you haven't talked to in a while. They changed jobs, you moved cities, whatever reason. Like life happens. Not all of us talk to everyone all the time. Now, I got to point out here that there are definitely some people that you haven't talked to in two or three years for very good reason, and we're not talking about those type of people. We're just talking about the people that are like, oh, life happens, we fell out of touch, right? Those people are somewhere else in the network, just like strangers, but you already know them. Building rapport happens a lot faster, right? Now, you probably don't want to be that person that's like, hey, we haven't talked in two years, now I need something from you. But making it a process to regularly check back in with those people, to make it more comfortable when they need something or you need something that they can reach back out to you. I, I, since publishing the book, I've started referring to this as resetting the clock of awkwardness, right? The longer <laughs> a time period goes without talking to somebody, the more awkward it is to reach back out to them. One of our goals in, in networking as a verb, if you will, should be constantly reaching back out to those people. And, you know, something like we were, we were talking during the break of the McKay 66 or the notes that Tom has on his phone, something like that is actually really useful for reaching back out to those dormant ties. Because if you have that information captured, you're much more likely to stumble upon something that's relevant to them. You read an, read an article about one of their hobbies and you can forward it along and say, hey, I was thinking about you, right? Or you remember that their birthday is a certain day or that their children's birthday is a certain day. And so you can... Uh, you can send it back out to him. I had this happen a couple, uh, I made a note maybe a year ago now that someone was, someone's youngest child was in their last year of college. And so right around May 1st, I sent him an email and I said, congratulations on the pay raise. I heard your youngest graduated, right? <laughs> just a little sort of thing that you can do that sends it back. And the goal, I didn't want anything there. The goal was just to keep that relationship with that dormant tie alive because the time will come when they might need information from me or I might need information or referral or something like that from them. And if we keep resetting the clock of awkwardness, it's much more likely that we can be helpful to each other. That is tremendous. And I actually, I, I love what you did in that example of your friend with the, the kid graduating from college. It's so often people tell you that something important is coming up or you can deduce it from you know, that kind of a conversation. And creating those reminders for yourself and maybe using an app to do it called contact mapping, but you know, creating, <laughs> <dot com>. those, <laughs> creating those reminders for yourself because inevitably, you know, you're going to have a busy day on the day that they told you they were going to have surgery in two weeks and you're not going to just naturally remember. But if you put that in your phone and you reach back out on that day and check in on them, it means the world to them, number one. And it's just, it's an incredible how many times something magical has happened beyond it just as a result of doing that. Do you mind if we take a break? Let's do it. Let's do it right now. <laughs> All right, we're at the break. Adrian talked right up to the goal line. So we didn't have much. So let me just thank you, you very much. I'm just trying to do my job. It's the new show, the Network Marketing Leadership Show. All right. I thought you were going to manage the clock. Sorry, the Bill boss Belichick. <laughs> Bill Belichick. All right, we're here, man. Okay, so, so now we're at the break again. All so, right, so let's uh, let's actually take that straight in because I, I, I think what you just said is brilliant around contact mapping. And it's so important, man. I, you know, a friend of mine is an engineer and he was, we go to the same church on Sunday. He was telling me that his boss had done something kind of crazy and had ended up buying it, told him after the fact that he had just bought a house in Minnesota and he was moving away, but I'm sure nothing's going to change with our relationship. Right. 
And so obviously that was not exactly how that conversation played out, but he's been having to figure out what he's going to do. And so he had to have a pretty tough conversation with his boss. And so, and it was, to, it was going to be today. And so I, I reached out and I followed up with him and asked him how that conversation was. And you can just, you can see the surprise and the delight on people's face when you follow up with them and they thought for sure you would never remember, let alone follow up with them. And it means the world, doesn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. I, well, well, I can I can agree with you, or Tom can agree with you, whichever you want. We were I'm definitely in agreement. That was inadvertent. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, the, the the other thing I'll say that it that it does. So besides just you know having these uncommon reasons to reach back out, which does a great job of resetting the clock, and there and there's ways to do it even if you don't know anything. Um, but the other thing that it does is like the beauty of something like the McKay sixty six or content mapping, especially if you've got like a template or something like that just trying to get those question answers, like get answers to those questions, builds up what in network science terms is called multiplexity, uh, a lot of different contexts for connection, the number of things you have in common. You are much closer to a business partner that you go to church with than you are just a business partner or just someone you go to church with, right? And if you're a business partner and you go to church with him and your kids go to the same school, that's even closer, right? So the more of these contexts for connection or these more things that you can find that you have in common uh, the, the more close you're going to be over time, right? It doesn't happen immediately, but just fishing for those because you're trying to capture all this data, just having that template to fill out helps you uh, look at the relationship much more deeply than most people do, right? Most people, they meet someone new, they're like, who are you? What do you do? Oh, I can't figure out how that's useful to me in the next four days. So I've already forgotten who you are and I'm looking over your shoulder at the next person I want to meet, right? And we all hate being in front of that person, but a lot of times we're accidentally that person because we're not looking for those multiplex ties. That's 100% right. And inside of that idea, we have something as part of contact mapping, but it's, it's a free ebook that we give away. It's called the coffee shop interview. And it's much like that McKay 66 in, in that it's this idea of how do you really fill out your mental model of what I know about somebody and what do they care about? What do they need? Where do they need help? And it's incredible as as you sort of shift yourself into this mode of how do I get really curious about who you are? How do I get really, really oriented towards your agenda and putting my agenda aside for a minute? What starts to come out? Because people just aren't used to being listened to in that way. They aren't, they're not used to being, you know, asked those kinds of questions. And so they, you know, they feel like they, they're the star of the show and they open up and, and just these amazing things will start to come out when you show up in that kind of way. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, uh, look, Dale, Dale Carnegie and by extension, Harvey McKay were right. The science lines up with it. People's favorite topic is themselves most of the time, right? Um, per personality traits aside, introverts or extroverts, everybody's favorite topic is, is them. So when you're asking questions and you are genuinely interested in them, you end up coming off as far more interesting to them as well. Bingo! Soundbite. That's pretty good. Right? <laughs> that is awesome. You're 100% right, man. And everybody, get your agenda out of there. If you can live in their agenda and, and interview them like crazy, document them like crazy, follow them up on what they said they wanted out of their life, I'll promise you something that you've got is going to be something they want because you develop the relationship with them. And I promise it will work. I just bought a hoodie from David, for God's sake. It's unbelievable. Exactly All right, we right. got to come back in a second. This is such a fun show. This guy is so fun. 
So, okay, we're going to come back. We got to be quiet for like five seconds for the avail on the radio show. What's the name of the show? The show is called the Tom Chanel Show until the end of this break. <laughs> and we are back. It is the Network Marketing Leadership Show with Tom Chanel and Adrian Chanel. I hope you are all having an unbelievable day. This guest we've got, David Burkus, is over the top. And if you haven't bought his book, you are out of your mind. It is unbelievable. It's called Friend of a Friend. His name is spelled David, D-A-V-I-D, Burkus, B-U-R-K-U-S, and you want to buy this book. And uh, that's that simple. You can buy it everywhere. It is something. He's written several books. This book is over the top. Great. Adrian literally forced me to read it, and it was the nicest thing I think he's ever done for me. <laughs> Take it away. That's awesome. And, and check David out at davidburkus.com because he is, in addition to being a great writer, a great speaker. And did you know his, one of his TEDx talks has two, two million, million views. views? I know it. Two million in one. Oh, <laughs> I thanks. Watched. Thanks. I watched. You watched it this morning? Thanks. Yes, it was unbelievable. During Dude, my... that is crazy, David. That's a ton. It's, uh, it's a pretty controversial idea. So there's that, right? Yeah. Um, what is but... the idea for our, for our listeners? So, so, so I've... I've given three, one got upgraded to being like TED talk, right? And which is this one. And it's on um, salary transparency. People, despite what we might believe and what we're comfortable with, people actually prefer working inside an organization where it's clear, here's exactly how you make more money, right? Uh, the downside of that is that usually also lets people know how much each other get paid but people are looking for that anyway. If you think about your, any, any corporate job, everybody's looking around trying to see, you know, how much do you think Tom actually gets paid? He's kind of a slacker, right? And we, oh, he's got, a, he's got a Mercedes. He's obviously overpaid. He might not be. He might be underpaid and his wife is a doctor. We never know these things, right? right. But we end up with all this tension around the organization because everybody's constantly guessing. So the organizations that say, you know what? Here's how we determine how salaries are made. And here's what you need to do if you want to make more money they end up being not only perceived as more fair, they're more fair, they end up having reductions in, in gender wage gap, et cetera, but more motivated and engaged employees as a whole. And you know, the, the irony is, right, this is a network marketing leadership show, the irony is network marketing is an industry very, very clear, right? You wanna make more money, here's what you need to do. Here's what the different levels are, here's what the process looks like, and what happens. People are more motivated to do those things than if it's all this grand mystery and maybe I'll get a bonus and maybe I won't. That is so cool. And your website is beautiful, by the way. Oh, I mean, thanks. I, I had nothing to do with it. I just paid a designer. <laughs> <laughs> we need the designer. <laughs> no, no. Would you, we don't care about your hoodie anymore. Would you please send us his name? Yeah. There you go. See, that's a good deal. Well, it's sort of like people, people, not to plug my own thing, people compliment the book cover, a friend of a friend, a lot of times too. And, and I'm always like, thanks. Nothing to do with that either. That was a graphic designer too, but oh well. That's What's so crazy about where you, where you are in life though, this happens to me all the time, you get credit for everything. And you do literally nothing. That's me too. All right, nice book, I ghost wrote it. So whatever it was, right. you're right. That's exciting. But they used your brain and your personality and that's the most important part. That counts for something. <laughs> so I, I wanna talk a little bit about um, about this multiplexity concept that you, and we mm -hmm. talked a little bit about this on the break, but I want to come back to it. Number one, because I, this again was one of my favorite stories in the book. So Clayton Christensen, I'm like a huge fan of, and that the story of this just blew my mind. So talk about what is multiplexity and kind of weave in that story if you would, because I think it's so cool. Yeah. 
So, so multiplexity is a, is a fancy term for the number of contexts for connection that you have with someone, right? So we used to draw, we used to study a population and draw a network diagram and it just mattered, do you know this person or not? And we draw one line. And we realized that wasn't capturing the totality of information inside of a network, right? Because some people know each other in multiple different contexts. They see each other in different contexts and that needs to be represented. And there's power when that's represented. So about... 10 or 15 years ago, they started drawing multiple lines for multiple contexts for connection. And so now it was, are you a uniplex tie to somebody, one line, or are you a multiplex, multiple, right? And what we know now from now being able to study that is that you build a deeper relationship faster with someone when you find multiplex ties. This is why John Levy's dinners work so well, is that when you can't just say your name and what you do, you end up searching for other things, you find uncommon commonalities, and suddenly you've got this multiplex tie. But the other thing it does over time is it creates new opportunities that wouldn't have happened. So we know we've actually studied this in entrepreneurs, for example. It's much more likely that business opportunities develop out of personal relationships than that personal relationships develop out of business opportunities, right? And this is exactly what happened with Clayton Christensen and my friend, Whitney Johnson. So Whitney, Whitney's a brilliant author. You should have her on your show too. She's a brilliant, brilliant author. She started out as... Um, she was a piano major and then decided she wanted to work on Wall Street. So she did what she called, walked in the secretarial side door. She ended up being a secretary for uh, Smith Barney, I think it was. Don't hold it against me if I get that wrong. Works her way up, studies how this all works, ends up being one of the top investment analysts on Wall Street because she can speak Spanish uh, and, and she knows, like she, I think she did a mission there or something like that. And so she can speak Spanish, she knows what's going on in Mexico City and she can study basically the three telecom giants in, in Mexico. So she can write these really unique reports about what's going on in that field, right? None of that matters to Clay Christensen when he decides to take the theory of disruptive innovation and put it into practice at an investment firm. Basically what he's gonna do is get a bunch of investors money together, invested in companies that he perceives to be disruptive and he needs someone to run the firm, right? He picks Whitney, not because of all of her investment advice, but because they went to church together. They both volunteered on a board that helped you know, build a bridge between the church and the business community. And he saw what she was like as a leader in that context and said, yeah, we need you. You know, I don't even care. I don't know what your background is. I'm glad that you know something about investments. But what I saw in you was that leadership. And I saw it in a context that wasn't business related personal turns into business more often than not. And it's one of the reasons why I think most people, we, we separate people into buckets. We have our work contacts and our real life friends, et cetera. And it's really a misguided way to look at friends. The reason the book is called Friend of a Friend is that I, I don't think it's work contacts and real life friends. They're all just friends. You meet them in different contexts. And when you can meet them in multiple contexts, you build a better relationship with them. You serve them more and they also bring you more benefit as well. Wow. Can I ask you a question that just hit my brain? Sure. Did you name the book? <laughs> <laughs> Did I name the book? No. Oh, I knew it. Give me five. Every listener just wanted the same thing, and I knew it. Book, book titles are agony. It's always a committee, right? So oh, we, my, myself, my, I, don't, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was the publisher. Myself, my editor, my publisher had this three-month-long email chain where we would just spit out random stuff. Um, I, at one point, I think I threw out the term, uh, who, you know, uh, because you know, it's, it's who, you know, we use that as a networking term. Sure. Then we started riffing on all of these networking cliches. And I think it was the publisher that emailed back and all he wrote was the phrase friend of a friend. And I was like, that's 
brilliant because it yeah. captures like what's at the end of the book anyway, like, rah, right? So that's brilliant. No, I, I've written three books and I've only titled one and it's the one that sells the least. So, you know, that should tell you everything about me in titles. I know, when the name of it, and this is completely off base, but contact mapping. That's what I've always done is contact mapped. It's been on my door for 20 years. These guys wanted to name it like Armpitia, something like all the stupid names of all these things. And I'm going, no, why do we have to not only try to explain to them what contact mapping is and does, we have to explain what the name. And that's, mis I think it's a brilliant name, contact mapping. That's good. We're up with it now. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> Dot com. Dot com. There we go. All right, go ahead. So what I love about that is I, I think you know, no matter what world you live in, that it, it really teaches us that it's not just, you know, business is not just business. Like we got to get out there and we've got to find places to connect. And, you know, if you love playing golf, join a country club. If you love, you know, certain causes, go and serve. But it's amazing how often that comes about that when you're, when you decide to go and contribute someplace outside of work, but you can get yourself around like-minded people from all sorts of backgrounds, that these connection points that maybe never otherwise would have happened come about and you collaborate with somebody that is, you know, that something really special happens that wouldn't have otherwise come about. Yeah, totally. So what I tell a lot of people is like, we, we know from the research that people don't mix at networking mixers. So you, you officially have my permission, not that it's worth anything, to never go to one of those events ever again as long as you take the time saved and you reinvest it in one of those shared activities. Can be volunteering for a charity thing, can be adopting a hobby that draws a diverse set of people. I'm not, I don't know about the country club, right? Ironically, public golf courses probably work better for networks because it's a more diverse group of people than like, this, I couldn't get away with wearing this at a country club, so I'm just, just gonna discriminate against it, right? Um, but any, any activity that draws a diverse set of people from all walks of life, and there's a reason other than connecting to be there, will, ironically, get you stronger and more diverse network connections over time than hitting up that every Thursday night networking mixer that is always on your calendar that you never wanna go to anyway. Skip it, invest your time in one of these instead. I agree. Those networking things go in the same circle all the time too, you know, and you're just mm -hmm. talking to each other, hoping that at some point, I mean, I, I don't get it. I, you know, not, I'm not knocking it. I mean, a lot of people build businesses different ways. Yeah. I just rather walk in a coffee shop, look somebody in the eye, say, who are you? And tell me about yourself and bam, you own. Why is diversity so important in the network? So, and, and it's something that we don't, um, we don't get without a lot of deliberate attention. Networks, the number one thing networks provide is information, right? They provide information in the form of, maybe it's referrals to, to sales, maybe it's you know recruits, maybe it's just information about how to see the world a little bit differently that helps you make a different decision, right? Business history, for example, is full of terrible decisions that were made because everybody was getting their information from one or two sources. So if, if networks are about information, then the more perspectives that you're getting, the more information uh, you're getting to make that better de decision with. So that's, that's the primary. The, the other thing, quite frankly, is that networks, the more diverse your network that you're trying to build, the more likely it is to stay diverse over time and the less work you end up having to do uh, over time because new connections sort of come to you because you've spread yourself throughout that network. Yeah, that, that's huge. And it, it's amazing how easy it is to get kind of stuck in a rut where everybody knows, every, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody. It starts to feel like this club and you kind of just hear everybody sort of parroting the same ideas and you got to find a way to break out. Of I'll it. bet you I'm the most diverse networker in the world. 
In the world. In the world. Bam. I hang around. I go to, <laughs> I've been going to AA every day for 31 years. Every morning. And that's, that's a one, very diverse group of people. Yeah. Well, that's one end of the spectrum. And I hang around with guys like you and that's the other end. And I love in between the whole deal. And I interact with every, I mean, that is beautiful. I think I'm your poster child. Yeah. I mean, that's why I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's a really weird sport that draws everybody from like blue collar, a lot, I mean, a lot of folks that are in A that morning and are then in Jiu Jitsu yeah. to doctors and lawyers and whatever, right? So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I gotta tell you my, maybe during the break, I'll tell you my friends of Bill W story. Well, you're gonna have to, because now we're gonna hear it and I don't understand why we don't hear it now. Is it like a dirty story? <laughs> no, I'm just waiting for you to switch the thing because it's 446. I'm no, watching the clock. This, guy, this guy knows how to manage a clock. Okay, well. It's going to be the Dave Burkish show before we're done here. Oh, it's the David Burkish show. <laughs> He's watching the clock and he knows the break's coming up, which is so funny because I didn't. So I would have let him. We were having too much fun. Yeah, you're, mes you're mesmerizing. Face back. <laughs> okay, so you're going to go to davidburkish.com. You're going to buy his book right now. That is that simple. It's called Friend of a Friend. Go to Amazon, but buy the book. I am begging you. You will thank me. So make sure you do that, please. And you don't even have to call and tell me you did. We'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear, your let's hear it. So um, to your point about there, 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 it draws a diverse set of people. It's, it's, uh, it's everywhere. I went on a, a cruise in June, right? And I went, on a, I went on a Disney cruise, not that it matters, but I, we looked up, we did all the research and I found out that the best place to view the ocean was from this like sky view lounge or whatever it was called. And so right before dinner on the first night, I told my wife like, hey, on the way to dinner, we should stop by this lounge and check out the view. So I pull up my phone to see where it is. And it tells me, no, there's an event going on right now. You can't go. And what's the event? Like, oh, it's Friends of Bill W. I'm like, oh, that's weird. I guess it's some like anniversary or something like that. And they, because I to like totally, I know what it is, but it was in the back of my mind. So then I'm like, all right, well, I, we'll, we'll try it again. So I wake up the next day. I'm like, you know what we should do is we should see the sunrise from that, that deck because it's supposedly beautiful, et cetera. So I pull up my phone, booked again, friends of Bill W. I got four days into the cruise before I had that like, oh yeah, oh my God. that's what <laughs> that, that is. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, you would have, well, if you were on a cruise, you would probably fit right in anyway. So you should have. <laughs> But no, I mean, to your point, it draw, it, it it draws um, everybody. And and if you, by the way, if you're if you're watching this, even if you even if you're not an alcoholic or you don't know anybody to struggle with it, it's honestly a really powerful meeting to go to. And you could you could sit there a few times and just go, you know, but when it when it comes to you, you can say my name's Dave and I pass. But it's really interesting uh, to hear those stories, see the diversity of stages that people are in. It's a it's a great way to know to, it's a great way to know what real looks like because so much of networking and making business connections is fake. It's a great way to sort of see that. Are you, you agree, Tom, or no? A, a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous is going to be everything you want a church to be. I mean, it is sharing without leadership from the heart. When you go to church, you're going there because you don't want to go to hell, probably. When you go to an AA meeting, you've been to hell and you don't want to go back. And that's the difference between the two. And there's, it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Lucian, who's watching this show, is flying into Longmont, normal guy, not an alcoholic, to shadow me for two days. And he doesn't know that every day that he's here, we'll start at 7 a.m. going to an AA meeting with me as a bystander to see what really, really deep conversation and sharing looks like.
because that's what you get. You get authenticity, you get vulnerability, you get it all just exactly like contactmapping.com. 100%. What a transition. That was an interesting transition, but all right, we'll do it. <laughs> so we got, we got another minute or so left. I actually I want to plug one thing for the audience because I think what we just came out with is something really, really cool and we haven't talked about it yet. So speaking of getting diversity into your network, which I believe is so incredibly important, where I think you can tap into diversity almost instantly is if you can shift the way that you talk to your Uber driver or your Lyft driver, they have exposure to a zillion people on a daily basis. And if you can plant the seed that they are the connection point for you and them to create a partnership and do some business together in network marketing, it's unbelievable. And so you just spoke about that at GoPro, which we can't expand on right now because we have 30 seconds, but we put together an ebook that's way better than his speech because I did the ebook. <laughs> so go, go to giginterviewer.com. It's a free ebook. It talks about how to have this conversation and it's going to blow you away. It's really, really fun. His speech was tremendous. I'm only kidding. But go to giginterviewer.com and check that out. Giginterviewer.com. All right, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. All right, we're coming back in about three seconds. And we're back. Welcome back to the Network Marketing Show with Adrian Chenault and Tom Chenault. How are you, my son? I'm fantastic, father. It's so fun. Don't you love this guy? He's awesome. Final segment, David Burkus, davidburkus.com. If you didn't buy his book during the break, I'm coming to your house. So take it away. <laughs> So David, you, you hit on one of these things already, but you know, since writing the book, you've been all over the world talking to Fortune 500 companies all the way through to all kinds of different stuff, I'm sure, talking about these ideas of networking and how to show up bigger. What are some things maybe you know, sort of in the epilogue of this book that you have learned about how to do networking the right way on a global scale in interacting with all these organizations? Yeah, uh, so I would say, you know, we, we were talking before the break about diversity uh, and the importance of diversity in your network. And this is something that you find, especially in organizations, but it happens in personal life too. Unless you're deliberate about it, the opposite sort of compounds, right? So we, we like people who are similar to us, right? We like people who think like us. I mean, clearly they're brilliant because they think like us, right? In reality, what we need in order to make better decisions, to be more successful in our businesses, et cetera, is a diversity of that information. But if we have this small little tendency towards self-similar and we just stay inside of our, our, what a lot of people call the warm network, what I'll call the, you know, the close, the strong ties versus weak ties, we stay just inside that. They're much more likely to already be like us. And then who do you think they're referring us to? Who do you think they're introducing us to? People who are like them. In other words, people who are like us, right? So it can compound. One, one study, for example, looked at a, a massive organization. It was actually a state school in California. So 30,000 person organization faculty, students, staff, um, stripped of all personal information, right? Because it's a, it's a study and we got to be ethical. But what they just cared about was who was sending emails to who, who was connected to whom. What they found was over the course of a year, despite, you know, it's, it's a university in California. You obviously want to meet new people. You care about diversity, all that sort of stuff. By the end of the year, people were much more likely to be in silos and echo chambers. And I see this, I work with a lot of large organizations that this is what explains how they got to those silos, politics, and turf wars. This is the same thing, if we, want to, if we want to bring it right to network marketing, this is the same thing that happens when you feel like, yes, all of your friends know about your business and they're not referring you to anyone. Well, it's because you're in that echo chamber, you're not spending enough time reaching out to that diversity. 
The good news is that the opposite is true. If you spend a deliberate amount of time making those new connections, making connections to diverse people from diverse sources, they'll introduce you to people who are like them, in other words, different from you, and then the spiral sort of reverses itself and you end up with a more diverse network over time, which makes it more likely that people are gonna be referring people to you because it's a lot of different type of people who maybe haven't heard about you, haven't heard about your business, your opportunity, et cetera. So making that small effort to be delivered, it helps in, in large organizations, it helps with entrepreneurs, it helps in pretty much every context, but we don't do it, at least we don't do it enough Instead, we sort of spend that just a tiny bit of time with people who are too self-similar to us. And over a 30-year time period, that ends, up, um, that ends up not working in our favor. Obviously not Tom, because of all the reasons we talked about before the break. Um, and, and the one thing you see on successful, I guarantee this is true for Harvey when you interview him next week. The one thing you see from consistently successful networkers is that they are not willing to just let that that close nippers keep referring them self-similar people. They're making deliberate efforts to get out to people who are different from them because they see how that'll compound over time. So you've worked and given speeches for people like Google and Microsoft and Stryker, all these companies. And then you got these network marketers who would, are like the opposite of that. It's my supposition because I knew him when he went to work for a big, big company and was actually head of international finance for them. But I knew he had to get better at relationships. I think they ought to almost make every one of those people that work in those companies that are hiding behind their computer, hiding behind their phone, join a network marketing company, go get their brains beat in on relationships and rejection and interviewing with their eyes instead of learning. I mean, that should be something almost mandatory just because you learn so much about human beings in a short amount of time. What do you think of that? So I would, I would largely agree. I, I think what I told, when I, I taught business school for six years full time, and what I told most undergrads was when you get out, spend two to three years in a sales role. Yeah. Because you're going to learn that, right? Spend two to three. It doesn't matter what you end up wanting to do, right? But spend, or do all of your internships while you're in school in a sales role. And so if you're watching this and you can't do that, right, the, the next best thing, you already have your job, your career, you, you're presumably you started in network marketing because you didn't want uh, to just quit your job. You wanted to build a transition over to the business that you built. Um, but even if no matter what you're doing, even if the whole thing never really works out, right, even if you spend yeah. two or three years inside of one company and it doesn't work, you learned how to sell and you learned how to build relationships. And those skills matter no matter what you do. So, yeah, I mean, it, the guy's a genius. He is a genius. He's a certified genius. <laughs> well, Tom, remember that thing I said about we like people who think like us because clearly they're brilliant, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> that is exciting. You want to talk about the guest next week and close this out? Yeah. So, so two things. One is David told about three stories and two studies out of dozens in this book. You really got to go read it. I mean, I I have treasured your book. I've come back to it over and over again. So go check out Friend of a Friend. And you have really got to, if you like this week, you are going to love next week because Harvey McKay is, I mean, he's, he's really my hero. He is the I guy. I think that's who, insulting. If you, no, I <laughs> no, you did it back. If you love this week, you're going to really like next week. That, Don't make the guy. Oh, he's 87. I think David, he has not, David hasn't hit his peak yet. And neither I'll, def I'll defer to Harvey. I really All don't. Right. I don't, I don't any, I don't, illusions of grandeur compared to somebody like Harvey. I'm, I'm all right. Next week's show. <laughs> so Har Harvey McKay is going to be on 
it is going to be fun. He is a, a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience, and you are going to love it. So David, thank you so much for being on with us today. I, I really enjoyed talking with you and you got to go check him out. DavidVerkus.com. This has been the Network Marketing Leadership Show with Adrian Chenault. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Whoa, you did an unbelievable job. <laughs> we love you. Awesome. Holy oh, thank cow. you. Okay, you're still on the air, so don't start smoking cigarettes or cussing. <laughs> all right, I won't. <laughs> we're just we're still on Facebook, but the AM radio component is over, which is really, really cool. But man, I am telling you what, you are good at what you do. Because you're oh, an intellectual you. guy that talked on a really, really everybody level, which needed to happen. There wasn't no sugar in that drink there, was there? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's caffeine-free, sugar-free, fun-free Coke Zero. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Adrian, I'm telling you, what have you been eating? I, I started the, the keto diet and intermittent fasting about three months ago, and it has been hmm. The kids lost like 85 pounds. He looked In three like months? He stick with hair. That's it an eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's nice to see... Uh, it's nice to see it working for one of us. <laughs> hey, remember, McKay's going to be on Monday. Oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, my God. We just got a newsflash from our, our producer. Uh, New Year, uh, Christmas Eve is on Tuesday, and everybody's got stuff going on. So we're doing a special edition of this show on Monday. So, and we'll, we'll blow it out. But thank God for Marianne, because I would have forgotten. But we're doing it Monday. So next Monday at 2 o'clock Pacific time, we're doing the show, right? Yep. Exactly. Okay. So Good call, Marianne. David Burkus, you have to come to Longmont. You would love it. We'll go to an AA meeting. We'll get the weather here. You're down in Oklahoma. It's like 95 and he's wearing a hoodie. At least <laughs> you know what they think? They think you're robbing a bank. Very thin. Very thin. But in Colorado, you're going to fit right in. So That's fair. That's fair. No, it's like 30 something here. It's cold here. Really? Yeah. It's, it would only be cold for like a day, but that's, you know. Well, I'm coming down. I, I, you, I am very, very, very impressed with you. And we're going to sell some books for you. And we're going to get, have you ever heard of a guy named Bob Bodine? Uh, I feel like I should know that. So it rings the bell. I've never met him. Somebody else probably. He wrote a book called The Power of Who. And he's the most powerful guy in the national football. Yeah. Somebody sent me his link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to send you that book. So get a, I'm, I'm going to have him autograph one and send it to you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. He's sending one to Harvey McKay too, by the way, because <laughs> I called him because it's just, I'm in this mode of all you guys that are, you know, now that he's got the new name of the show, I'm trying to up the guests. So I called mm -hmm. him today and told him about you, but I didn't have any idea I was going to love you as much as I love you because I thought you were going to be some intellectual nerd like. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, this is exciting because you're a guy's guy. This is cool. We'll go have a Coke. Zero. There you go. Yeah. A, a sugar-free, caffeine-free, fun-free. All right, man. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks. Emily. Oh, thank Dude, you so much for having me. DavidBurkus.com. Go buy that book, everybody. We'll see you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can get a lot more content like this going to contactmapping.com.